This is the I Make a Living podcast, brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur with a family. Since I am a relationship coach, Valentine's Day is basically my Super Bowl. So to celebrate, we found three couples who are partners in business and partners in life to feature over the next three episodes in which we'll discuss the unique challenges of working in a partnership. On top of that, we'll be addressing how our business plans are often impacted by what's happening in our relationships or our families. In fact, I started my own relationship coaching business because I wanted to create a healthier, more balanced life for me and my daughter. Why do you think it's important to take your vitamins? So you have enough calcium and enough vitamin A, D, A, B, C, D. So you don't get sick. Yep, those are my kids. And the vitamins they just took were made by Smarty Pants. So I sat down with the company's founders, Courtney Nichols-Gould and Gordon Gould, to understand why they started their business. Previously, Courtney was the founding COO of Fly Clear. You know, that service that helps you speed through security at the airport. And she was a senior executive at many tech and media companies. Gordon was an internet and media entrepreneur, as well as the co-founder of This Next, a venture-backed social shopping platform. So for both of them, starting a health and wellness company was completely new territory. Uh, You know, it really came about because it's something we care about as people and obviously as parents. It's a focus for us. Uh, it's funny. Tech is such a different experience. I think for me being a part of clear, which was, uh, you know, as a fast pass for airport security, that for me was the first time I got involved in something where, where someone used my product and then communicated with me about it. And cause being in tech, you don't get that. You know what I mean? When you're making software, you just don't have that human exchange. And that's really when the light went on for me. This was amazing to me that someone would write an email and say, you know, now I don't have to add an extra hour onto my commute. I get to spend more time with my kids in the morning because I know I'm going to get to the airport. I'm going to get through security in 30 minutes. And that was so cool to me. And I realized that's a pretty fundamental human experience. And so Smarty Pants is not only the next evolution and that you're making an actual good, like a hard good, uh, but also it's in it's intervening in someone's health, right? And then the health of their family, which as we know, as parents, that's sort of paramount. So let's talk a little bit more about the business and the different iterations that you've you've been through. You started with this mission of health and wellness. I want to hear more about why why Smarty Pants and how you designed your product to be in alignment with that mission. So it's interesting that as I said, it kind of came about organically. It wasn't Gordon and I definitely did not have a plan to build a big vitamin company. It was oh, there's this one problem we have right? Which is finding something that we and our friends and our co-founders had a hard time finding, which is a vitamin. There were vitamins that the kids would take. There were ones that were uh, affordable. And then there were ones that used really premium nutrients that we knew were more bioavailable, but those were three different products. And so it was like, can we not just combine those things? It doesn't seem like it should be that hard. Turns out it's really hard, (laughs) but um, it shouldn't be that hard. That's kind of where it started. But what happened was when we launched the product, in 2011, it was just for kids, just on Amazon. But we all of a sudden got all these parents who wrote us saying, I really wish you would make one for me because now I'm stealing my kids' vitamins. And that to us was the game changer. And it's kind of when we say the company came into being, which is now like the summer of 2012. 
frankly, it didn't occur to us that adults like gummy vitamins would be a thing. <laughs> oh, it's not I like we were I like steal my kids' vitamins all the time. Yeah, but you know <laughs> what I mean. It's not like we were these huge visionaries. We're like, ah, I've got a master plan. It was really listening to what people told us, which is like, oh, we have that same problem, and that's when we realized, oh, the, the actually the big problem applies to everybody. It's not just for parents. Everyone has a problem sticking with the regimen and therefore getting the benefit. So, could we take the same idea of making comprehensive that's affordable using premium nutrients? and an enjoyable experience, whether that's a pill that actually has a nice flavor to it as well, or gummy or whatever it might be. And now Smarty Paws, where we make them for dogs as well, but could we extend that to everybody? And if we could, we might be able to really move the needle in health. If we could affect not just our own customers, but then show the rest of the industry that you don't have to compromise. There's a way to solve this problem because if we can get everyone copying what we're doing, then you've really affected a huge group of people and that would be amazing. And it was the same thing with Vitamin Angels and this matching grant we put in place. Tell me what you do with Vitamin Angels, what that is exactly. So when we were starting the company, um, Blake Mykoski had just started Tom's maybe a year or two earlier. And I thought what he had done was quite brilliant. And he built it in from day one before he was profitable and would go to investors and say, look, I've made this commitment of a one-to-one matching. And in our world... And just to clarify, that's you you buy a shoe yep. and he, he donates, donates a pair a of shoe shoes to someone in need. Correct. And in the world of vitamins, the only tweak is I don't necessarily, you don't necessarily want to give smarty pants to someone in Peru living at 14,000 feet who doesn't have access to a varied diet because they need more vitamin A than we need here. So we don't want to give them our exact product, but we do make a matching nutrient grant to give a year's worth of nutrients to a child in need or expectant mother. And the reality is it's not that expensive. I'll do this again just to shame any potential CEOs of vitamin companies listening. You should be making matching nutrient grants for every bottle that you sell. We are a relatively small business growing fast, but now we're, we just think I passed 11 million matching grants that we've made since we started the company. And that is unbelievable. It's so exciting to us that we could do that. It matters to all the employees here. I mean, even our investors, we've never had an investor say, oh, if you cut that out, you would have gotten to profitability faster. Never. I think they all get how important it is to everybody that works here. Uh, You know, and it just says something about the company. And it's just, it really, it helps us when things get intense, which they do. uh, It's an anchor for us, really. Yeah. You can see the big picture. Yeah. Uh, You were talking about the different ingredients in the vitamins. And I know one, one challenge for people who are making a product is that sometimes availability of certain elements changes, and then you have to iterate. And I was reading something about how in 2012, uh, the vitamin E market became a little bit more challenging. Can you talk about how you navigated that and um, the impact that it had on your business? Yeah. And, And this happens not just with vitamin E, it happens all the time, which is again, something I didn't know, having never made a thing before, that stuff runs out. And as you can imagine, if you're not one of the really big companies, you are not on the top of the list if there's a shortage of something like, because we tend to use these more bioavailable nutrients. So we use what are called methylated B vitamins. All of those things are less available than the really cheap, probably not as good for you stuff. So folic acid versus methylfolate, right? There's a lot more folic acid out in the world because it's used to fortify cereals and everything else, right? So for us, it was really a question, uh, do we make the product with something that we don't feel as good about, or do we take it out? And it's a decision you've got about like 45 minutes to make and you're this new startup and, you know, everything's on the line and you've just gotten into retail for the first time. And, you know, 
Um, and our answer was to really ask the community what people thought. Hey, here, and by community, I mean going onto social saying, look, we're, we're facing this challenge. What do people think? And we feel like the right thing to do is to just not include the ingredient, or we can use this more bi- this less bioavailable. And I think that was a really important moment for us to sort of walk the walk. And walk the walk means being transparent. We can't always be perfect, but we can. We always want to be upfront about where we are on our way to being as good as we can be. So, what did your audience say? What did your they said? Leave it in as long as you know that it's safe. If it's still available, just not as bioavailable, we'd still rather get the nutrient. And so that's what we did until we could switch back, which we did the next run. It seems like there's a theme here of listening to your customer and being able to to make improve your product and make products that are really serving them as opposed to I think a lot of people come from the point of view of I think this is a good idea and so I'll just put this into the world and if people don't like it well then they're an idiot you know that's that's a great product but y- you have a very different framework of of taking in the feedback and then moving your business forward off of that. And I think if you're in a science-based business, you kind of, it's the two. It's like you both want to take feedback because there's no point in creating a perfect product that no one takes. And there is a lot of that. There are a lot of really amazing products that are either too expensive, all those things I mentioned before, but no one's taking them. So you need to hear the feedback because that for us is about the experience of taking it. So how can we listen to feedback about that? That said, we're science-led, so we know there are certain things we want to do, irrespective of what a consumer tells us. An individual person doesn't know that there's an emerging choline deficiency in the population, but we know that. So we're going to start introducing choline into all of our products where we didn't before. So it's that. It's like the marriage of knowing when to listen and also knowing when there's stuff that there's information they don't have access to that we do. And that's our job is to make it easy for them. It's to demonstrate to them that we deserve their trust so then we can go out and do the research that they don't have to, but end up with a product that they love taking. So I think it's really the marriage of those two things. You brought up the word marriage. We're now here with your husband, Gordon. And I wonder how much of that ability to listen and communicate with your customers is inspired by the way that the two of you communicate within the business and communicate also with the rest of your team. Do you think that that the fact that this is a, a couple-owned business has anything to do with that strategy? For sure. You want me to go? You can go first. (laughs) (laughs) Just demonstrating our ability to communicate. For sure. I mean, look, there's the advantage of it is that we trust each other completely. And so you know that someone's agenda is the same as your agenda, right? The, um, and there's a lot of benefit that comes from listening, but it's also hard. Like we just had this this morning, we had a we had a lack of listening moment between the two of us, right? Where we get frustrated, or we have a different style of communicating. But the difference is what is so phenomenal about being in a business with your beloved is that you you have to communicate through it. In other words, you you can't just let it go. So we always find a way to get through it. And it's not like you listen differently at home than you do at work. You're just a person, being a person all over the place, right? So, And so for us, it's I think the cool thing has just been that it's forced us to, to understand that we always have to clean stuff up. You know what I mean? So if we have a misunderstanding or there's something we're having a hard time communicating through, it always gets cleaned up. And that's been the difference, I think, in building a really strong foundation. And it gives people faith in the company that they know they're in good hands. Like it's not like... Um, they know we know how to work together really productively. I don't know if that would be my 
Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, you can't, there's no leaving it at the office. So, um, cause the office comes home with you a lot of the time. So that has pluses and minuses, but it's definitely helps, you know, force, uh, communications issues to be worked out or addressed and wh- however they need to be addressed. So, um, cause otherwise you're, turning your whole life upside down. So, um, which can get really old really fast. So I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's not easy, but you know, it's a, it's a good strategy. Um, and it helps sort of accelerate the development of our personal relationship. But I also think it helps to Courtney's point about making the company, giving the company comfort that, you know, that the leadership at the top is in sync and is not going to, you know, sort of try to run a coup or something like that, uh, which happens in companies. So, um, so I think it, you know, it is helpful. It's not for everyone. Um, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a positive, it's yeah. net positive. Sometimes it feels like a CrossFit workout, emotionally, <laughs> but yes, you know, it's good things. We've heard a lot about their business story, but if you're anything like me, you also love a good love story. And Courtney and Gordon's does not disappoint. You started this business with the man who is now your husband. I but did. that wasn't always the case. When you began Smarty Pants, how what was your relationship at that time? So we had, we knew each other from the internet business in New York uh, before, and uh, I was in LA and I had been talking to several different um, venture groups, thinking what I was going to do next and looking for uh, maybe my next gig as a CEO. And they said, oh, you know, you should talk to Gordon Gould. I think you guys would make an amazing team. And I know he's, and so it's so funny because I knew him already from New York, hadn't seen him in a long time. And so we had coffee and started talking about this idea that became Smarty Pants. And I was very lit up kind of around the Vitamin Angels. Uh, we do a matching grant for every product that we sell and the giving back idea. And I was very focused on health and wellness. And he is an internet technology expert, really, and also a, a futurist. And so we just got more and more excited about the idea. And so that is really where it started. It started as a, as a partnership. And uh, he was separating. He got divorced um, from his wife. I was in a relationship with someone else. And after, I don't know, we've been working together maybe a year, having never been on a date. And then out of the blue. I just, you know, I said, you know, I love you. And and so it was, it was kind of like an out of the blue thing, but was pretty clear to me. So yeah. here we are, here we you are, know, almost 10 <laughs> years later. So I know, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. And that's a big risk to... to Oh yeah. Take that step when you're starting this business and you're working long hours together and to begin a new relationship at that point when you're also beginning a new business. So challenging. I think it's, you know, it's, uh, it was either going to be extremely successful or extremely unsuccessful. Now, are you talking about the relationship or the business? All of it. It's true though. Like, because you, there's so much in the mix, you know, and really the priority is the kids and they, they come first and then our family unit, but we're also running the business together. And we had two other co-founders and we had to sit with them and talk about it. We wanted it all to be, you know, as soon as it became clear, we kind of sat with everyone and said, guys, we weren't expecting this. This is what's happened. And really the thing that changed it for us is we worked with a coach. So one of our co-founders is a big coach in LA and we met with him twice a week, every week 
for like the first year and a half. Twice a week. Yes. That's quite a commitment. Because, you know, there's just so much to navigate though. And you got to make sure you've got, the good news is we have very complimentary roles, right? Like I run the company on a day-to-day business. He's really the chief technology officer and the chief data officer. And so we're really lucky that we're so complimentary both here really and in parenting and everything else. And so it worked out, but it did take a lot of work and communication. And, you know, you want to be you want to be cool in front of the person that you're in love with. And that can be really challenging when you've got to have constant, intense conversations about work, right? And what's going on. And same thing with parenting. Everyone has different parenting styles. You got, so there was a lot to integrate. And, um, I don't think we frankly would have been as successful if we hadn't done that with somebody in there helping us navigate that. And I'm really happy to say it's, you know, it's worked out extremely well and we're obviously still very much in love and our kids are great and the business is doing well. So, uh, it's, it's all worked out, but it took an enormous commitment, a lot of work. I mean, it was the first two years were so intense. Do you have certain, since you do work together, live together, you have a family at home, do you have certain rules about the place of business in in your home? Do you have rules around technology coming back from a tech background? What what are the rules for for your household? I mean, we don't it's not like super hard and fast, but it's a pretty strong rule about like no technology in the bedroom. I mean, there are occasional sort of breaks in that. Um, and we try not to talk about business in the bedroom, but we talk about business in the rest of the house a lot. Um, uh, you know, we also try to make sure that we have topics beyond, you know, the kids and the dogs and business to talk about because those, that set of topics could consume your life if you let it. So if your brain isn't getting fed with something else in addition to that, it can, get a little claustrophobic, I think. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. Yeah, we definitely do, I think, make an effort to, but you know, the doing the smarty pants is a creative act for us. So it is a really, it's a fun thing to talk about. It can be a stressful thing to talk about. It depends on what's happening at the company, yeah. but there's also a lot of really cool things that we get to talk about. So we've never said like, we'll never, do, we just try to not talk about it right before we go to sleep. If there's a stressful thing happening, we just wait and talk about it in the morning because that's not going to help anyone, right? Then we're not then we're not sleeping, basically, which is not <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, which isn't but good I for think anybody. we're actually yeah. pretty good. The home thing, I think we're, we are pretty good about. Listen, yeah. the company was actually in our house for the first five years. We literally had nowhere to go. We had 12 people working in our little house with us every day. So I think one of the biggest changes, frankly, was just getting an actual office eventually. I mean, now we have 70 people. That would be a lot harder to do. But um, that made a big difference because that was pretty, that was a lot because then you really feel like you never get a break. But I don't, I don't, it doesn't yeah, feel like that I mean, now. and the team was great. I mean, they, you know, they stayed late and then we also had people shipping things early. So there would literally be people there <laughs> totally. like from 6 30 in the morning until <laughs> oh like God. 8 p.m. at like, night. So yeah. it wasn't really a lot of, you know, downtime. Me time. Yeah. 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 Us yeah. time. Well, I have to ask as a health and wellness company, then, yeah. how did you maintain your own sanity and your own health and wellness then? And how do you do it now? Great question. Uh, a lot of working out, <laughs> like for me, basically. So I, I exercise is a very meditative process for me. So I focused on making sure that I get enough of that so that I can be functional for everybody else. So, yeah, I think we know that it matters. I think that's the key. We've always, and I, we remember talking about this from the very beginning. Yeah. It was one of the commitments, even in our vows, 
actually, that we committed to take care of ourselves for each other and our family and the business so we could be the best person that we wanted to be. And so we do. We always make time to exercise. I do meditate every morning, and that has been extremely helpful to me. I've been doing it for 10 years or something, and I do it before my feet touch the floor because once they do, it's like game on and kids and everything else. But um, I think that's made a big difference. Frankly, having dogs also helps yeah, the, because the are great. they are, it's, yeah. it's just something else. And the kids, it's just great. I think for everybody in the family, it makes, that makes a big difference. And, and we take care of each other. I think we do, we have made it a priority to talk about what we bring to each other, um, in the relationship and with the kids. And so I think that we're really fortunate, but again, this is a lot, this is like, you're seeing us now in our most evolved. <laughs> like, it was not, it was not, we were always working out, but like all this productive communicating and how do we take care of ourselves? And we know we need snakes to. Snakes in a bag. Yeah. It's what we call snakes in a bag. When we get really mad, it'd be very fast. Have you ever seen snakes in a bag? No. <laughs> so when they yeah. fight, it's like, and then they're fine. <laughs> so you learn sort of how to do all that stuff constructively. And I think we're, we're very fortunate that I think already as people we cared about, we understood the idea that you cannot get something from an empty cup and you got to take care of yourself. And being an entrepreneur is super intense. It just is. It doesn't mean that it's harder necessarily than something else, but it is a very specific kind of intense because there is no one to call. You are the final thing. And that is a very draining experience. And it is very up and down. It's like very high, low, high, low, high, low. And I think you got to recognize that so you can take care of yourself. I find that a lot of times for entrepreneurs, the first thing to go is the self-care. When they're looking at their calendar and they're like, I have a family, I have dogs, I have this business. It's a mistake. The, it's, yeah. not, it's not sustainable. But how, do you make, how, do you, how do you make it a priority other than just saying like, I'd like to exercise. It's like muscle memory. I think it's muscle memory. It's just like that. You just, you just decide my life will not be the same if I don't do this. And I have enough experience watching the outcomes tied to when I do and do not do that, that it's developed very strong aversion. Like I know what will the price that I will pay down the road if I don't do this today. Right. Is it the same for you, Gordon? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's, you know, for me, it's like a must have um, in that it is a priority because it's kind of a gating condition for me to be able to sustain sort of high performance in other areas of my life. Because otherwise, I sort of feel like I'm holding my breath. Um, so I can go for a little while, um, but eventually it's going to, performance will degrade and I'll be fidgety and, you know, irritable and, just generally not as productive. Coaches have been shown to enhance your business performance. According to a study by Stanford, the ROI in coaching is seven times the initial investment. So even if you don't think you have the money for coaching right now, that coach might even pay for itself. I want to talk a little bit more about the coaching process. Um, as a coach myself, I can see the value in having a coach, but I think a lot of people, it's, it can be a very... Um, a very big expense if you're at, not at a place where you're in positive, uh, where you're having positive cash, cash flow. flow. Or, right, exactly. Can you talk about the things that you worked with your coach on and the, the more specifics on the reason why you think having that coaching was so crucial in those, in those years? It, it is expensive. I, I mean, for us, I think I was used to, I was a competitive athlete in high school and I 
have always had a coach. So to me, I love that relationship, the dynamics. So it was always a worthwhile investment for me. So I think just the idea of always getting better, always learning, there's always more to learn about yourself and how you occur in the world. It's critical as a leader and more than anything else. And as a parent, frankly, that you understand what you come with so that you can compensate, find complementary strengths, you know, all the things that I think will make you successful. So to us, it was worthwhile. I think there are things you can do. You could make a coach your, part of your advisory board and give them options so that they're willing to maybe not get the cash that they would normally, right? So make it more affordable. Or, um, you know, when you go out and raise money, I think to an investor, it's a pretty positive sign that you're investing in that way. So you say, look, we're raising this amount of money. I want to say that I've set aside $10,000 or whatever over a year so that I can meet with a coach on a weekly basis and make sure I'm doing everything I need to do to be the best leader, you know, and founder and CEO I can be. I think most investors would find that to be a pretty positive reflection of, of how you go about things. Yeah, it's just uh, sometimes it's challenging to vet the coach. There's a, a lot of oh, people God. out there offering so a lot hard. of different services. Yeah. How do you know That's a great question. who will be the right coach for you or what you actually need to focus on since coaches can focus on many different aspects of your life or your business? Yeah. And the word coach, I think is tricky because so many people can call themselves a coach for like six months experience and all of a sudden they're an expert. So in my case, it's been one referrals through someone I trust and know. And two, the, uh, you know, in our case, both coaches that I've worked with are people who've been doing it for 20 years, right? So they're people that have a very demonstrated, not only experience, but, um, and not just certifications because the reality is in the coaching world, people can get those certifications without necessarily having aptitude, but other kinds of training or other kinds of experience or education that, in, that clearly signals to you that they have the ability to read other people in a way that's going to be helpful to you. Something that really inspired me about the Smarty Pants story is that Courtney and Gordon actually invested all of their own savings into this business and ran this company out of their house. Then, on top of it all, they didn't even take salary for several years. I had to know why. And, you know, we went quite a few years. Basically, we used up our, used up our savings by taking no salary, either one of us, for about five years. And so down to, we went down to zero with our savings. We did. And it sounds so foolhardy when we say it out loud like that. Oh my God, what were we thinking? Really glad it worked out, Gordon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Were you just so sure at that point that you had something special? I think it's more, it's because it was every month. It's not like we were saying, oh, for the next five years, we're not going to. So you're not making that decision for long-term. You're saying right now, are we willing to forego this because where we are today, it makes sense. Yes. And it kept making sense. And because the business kept growing and we were adding investors, I think our confidence level was increasing every year that it was going to be sustainable and also that we were going to be able to take salary at some point. So it is, it's kind of like data in, data is coming in every month on which we're making those decisions because the retention rate, like we kept customers. So we knew we were headed in the right direction. So it wasn't a blind bet for five years, we were going to take no salary. It's like, we're making that decision on a monthly basis, but we always, we always felt comfortable making it. Does that make sense? Gordon, at the beginning though, you, you have a family, you have kids that you're responsible for. That's a big risk to invest your savings in, in a company, in an idea. So what was the calculus for you and, and what did you need to see from in, in terms of revenue or, or growth 
well, to be able to continue to invest. I mean, we it's not like we we talked about it and we looked at you know our budget and figured out that we could afford on a monthly basis to keep, you know, keep the kids in school and to be able to spend time with them. And, um, look, I mean, look, you know, it does sound crazy that when you say it in aggregate of five years, um, you know, at the time it was, um, how do I, I mean, and family it, it, help too, yeah, family but... help. Yeah. Family help too, for sure. I mean, I, I think it was mostly like, you know, Courtney and I, it wasn't like, it wasn't, was, these were not blind decisions. Courtney and I made like a, a family decision to move forward with this on a, you know, sort of month to month basis. Um, and, you know, as the business grew, it did become more obvious that the equity value of the company was going to be worth a lot. And so, you know, we could, we were fortunate and that we could, that we could do that. That's right. Um, uh, and the kids and, knew, and the, it kid, was like and the a kids knew. We all um, had as a yeah. family. Yes. Like, hey, we're tightening our belts. Yeah. This is a commitment and investment we're making, but we care about kids all over the world, yeah. right? We care about you guys, um, customers, but we care about the donors. Like, this is something we're all in together. And I think they were on board for that, too. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's Courtney and I, it's not our first time at the fundraising rodeo. So, um, you know, we had confidence that our metrics were going in the right direction and that the macro trends for wellness were going in the right direction. And, you know, one of the unfortunate realities of the fundraising market at that time was, is that consumer packaged goods, like, like physical goods, there wasn't like a very evolved angel ecosystem around it. Like today you can get funded for any wellness idea. I mean, there's a lot of really bad ones on the market, but you know, there's also a lot of money out there that is willing to sort of fund people's new product idea, physical product ideas. But, you know, nine years ago, that was not the case. And so we would have these escalating purchase orders from retailers, which we had a high degree of confidence we were going to sell because the retailers don't Retailers are not in the business of taking risk from the brands. They're only going to order what they can sell, you know, so we knew we would sell it. But the unfortunate reality was, is because we elected to opt for growth as opposed to becoming profitable um, because we figured market share was more important uh, than just sort of like eking out small profits along the way. Um, that uh, it meant we had to raise equity funding to fund inventory. So whatever we could do, whatever we could do to maintain our equity positions um, was worth doing. How did you end up how did you end up raising money for Smarty Pants in the initial round of funding? First, a lot of meetings. So we met with a lot of people who said no, uh, which, you know, any other entrepreneur I'm sure can identify with. And then we just learned we had to talk to different people. Like we weren't talking to the right people. We had to go, we had to find a way to network and find some folks that really understood consumer packaged goods and would see the opportunity that way. And that's really where it started. We happened to find one person who understood how this stuff worked and really understood our mission and appreciated the mission and gave us our first check for the baby amount of financing. And Gordon and I really bankrolled it with our own money. We gave up all of our savings to get it off the ground and so that we could really make the first product. Cause in this world, people do want to see it. They want to be able to taste it and say, okay, this is real. This is viable. I can see why people would take this product. So we needed to have, we needed to raise a small amount of money to just make that first run. And then from there, it got easier to raise money 
we, we went to Circle Up, which is a fundraising platform really focused on people making consumer packaged goods. And so we just hustled, frankly, until we could find new people because that was those weren't contacts that we had. You said something that I think will really resonate with a lot of our listeners about hearing a lot of no's. And I like to look at no's and a no to something is a yes to something else. How did you interpret those no's and how did you iterate once you were hearing the no's to be able to improve your pitch or improve the product going forward? Well, I like that, first of all, about this sort of as a yes to something else. That's right. I think it's actually a great process because that is how you iterate. It's how you learn you shouldn't be afraid of the nose. That's the, basically a feedback loop, right? Just like what you said. So what, what we would do is pick the people you probably care about the least in terms of getting a yes from to practice, right? To do the pitch. And then once you feel like you've really nailed it, go to the two or three people that you feel like would be the biggest home run for the business. And I think for me, I think I was pretty well-trained on the no part being a learning experience and that that's just basically how you get smarter. You just have to combine it with an enormous amount of persistence, but you've heard so many stories, J.K. Rowling, like all these people who all they heard was no, but they still have had incredible success. So you just have to combine it, I think, with a lot of persistence. When we're talking about the numbers, that's something that creates a lot of anxiety for me and I'm sure for a lot of, a yeah, lot of for other me too entrepreneurs. Still. Yeah, 100%. How do you sit down, like, as you're trying to figure out how much do I need to get this off the ground? And then also when you're when you're talking to investors, you have to make projections. Obviously, they want to get their money back too. How how do you look at the planning and break it down into, um, into digestible goals when you're, you're really looking at these numbers of something that you've never done before, that hasn't really existed before? I Really, the first thing I think is humility. So what's important is, hey guys, I haven't done this before. This is my best. It's, you know, that's why in these early stages, they're not really evaluating the numbers they are evaluating you. So it's more, are you, do, are you not overestimating? Are you not over, are you someone who over promises or under promises and over delivers? And I think that's actually what they're trying to suss out because they know you don't know. So what you have to do is show one, I have a demonstrated appetite for paying attention to what's going on around me and feedback. So I can tweak things as I go Two, I know what I don't know because that's the only way I'm going to go find those things out. Like I'm not an expert in XYZ, but I, but I do know who the experts are and I'm going to go find them to help me do this. Right. So you put numbers. I mean, most investors, you always say to you, it's going to cost, you know, twice what you think it's going to cost you. and It's going to take twice as long. Right. So that's kind of like a rule of thumb when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, I always say, look, whatever forecast you come up with, assume it's going to take you three times as long and it's going to cost you twice as much. And then what does that look like? But you don't need to finance the whole thing out of the gate. And look, there are two very different schools of thought. One is I'm going to go raise everything, but I don't know how you do that when you're starting from scratch. Like who's going to give you, if you're a brand new entrepreneur, right? How are you just going to go to someone and fund your whole business when you haven't even gotten, I think it's better to start knowing you're going to have to do it multiple times, but ask for a smaller amount and say, look, this is what I need to get to proof of concept. And then I'm going to prove to you that I know what I'm doing and that I'm good at asking questions. I'm good at learning from other people. I'm good at getting advice. That's really for the early entrepreneur. It's like, how good are you paying attention to feedback? How good are you at getting advice? How good are you doing a lot with very little? That's what will then get you more and more investment. And, you know, one of the things you see now is there's so much money out in the market. It's easy to go raise your first round. You might be able to raise $200,000 or half a million dollars, 
But then when it gets time to raise your $5 million, your t- it gets a lot more challenging because people want to see the evidence of your effectiveness. So better not to set yourself up, right? Set goals that you know you can reach, that you can actually outperform, and then all of your subsequent rounds will be a lot easier. What Courtney said here is really important for those of us who don't have years of experience with raising venture capital. For Courtney and Gordon, this wasn't their first rodeo, and they built themselves up before they bet the farm. So don't try this at home. However, if you don't have any experience raising capital for your genius product, all is not lost. Make sure you start slow and show investors that you're here for a good time and a long time. So you want to go for a long time. You've already been in business now for, what, eight years? Nine years? Yeah, eight years. Eight years. Nine years next Nine, year. yeah. So what's next? What's next? Smarty Pants, Smarty Paws. What's the next evolution of this business? Well, we just, we did launch this year the pills, which were important for us because it's a no sugar alternative for people who really like the comprehensive design. And I think we just keep looking at what, where is there an opportunity that's actually solving a problem? Because that was a commitment of ours. We're never going to make a me too product, right? It's like, oh, now the latest thing is apples. Apple cider vinegar. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. gummies. Like there's, you. it's yeah. ridiculous, but it's a trend and then everyone's making it. So we just try to avoid those things. It's like, what, what do we know is actually serving a purpose and solving a problem? And anything that does that, that is within the confines of being uh, better for you ingredients, comprehensive, um, you know, I think we're going to, that's an opportunity for us to, to play. And Smarty Paws is really exciting. We love being able to do for our dogs what we know we've been doing with, you know, the rest of the folks in our family. And, um, yeah, so I think for us that's kind of the – it's green fields, and there's still so much that we can do. And we want to help, obviously, Vitamin Angels, our new goal is $100 million. So $10 million was our original goal. We want to reach $100 million people with those matching grants. So needless to say, we've set some big, I think, big goals for ourselves for the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I think also operationally, just it's interesting to see how consumer brands evolve um, in the technology landscape. So, uh, you know, that's an interesting um, opportunity uh, to be continue to maintain competitive dominance there. So, um, you know, I don't want to get down in the weeds of our strategy, but like that's an area that we focus on a lot. And so uh, we think that there's big greenfield opportunities to Courtney's point. So like the, both the product category is is large and consumer demand is growing in our category. So, you know, it's all about reaching them in the right place at the right time. Nice. One of the, one of the things actually I remember that I thought was so smart that I heard someone say, which is, you know, risk is what got you here. And the the problem comes when you start operating from holding on to something you have instead of going for something you want, which is very common. So when you get to our stage, you know, you're over hundred million in revenue, you're getting to be a big, you can start trying to just keep what you have as opposed to doing the things that got you here. And that's actually my biggest focus for the next year is to make sure that I'm living in the place of like going for the, taking the big swings because that's where the magic is. Stay out on the skinny branches where all the interesting stuff is. Uh, that's true, obviously, in relationship too, as opposed to your safe little, oh, I want to protect. And that's really hard because you, the more investors, the higher profile you get, the bigger the instinct is to hold on and protect what you have. And we've become high profile enough. A lot of people are gunning for us. We get lots of people trying to copy what we do. And I've realized that that is what is, for me as a leader, the number one thing has to be to stay out in the imaginative 
place of doing the impossible, what people say we can't do, as opposed to just trying to protect what where we are. Does that make sense? Yeah. I also, I mean, Ray Dalio um, said something that I thought was, you know, smart, not surprisingly, given <laughs> who he is. But, you know, he was making the point that, you know, um, common thought produces common outcomes. Um, and so, you know, there is... As you scale up, as the organization gets bigger, there's definitely like, you know, a lot of pressures to do things the way other people have done it or to sort of think about like, how, you know, sort of unifying practices even within the company sometimes. And so sometimes that makes sense, but sometimes you have to sort of be careful of just opting into things because that's why that's how they've been done in the past. And had we launched Smarty Pants the way that other people launched vitamin products, mm -hmm. supplement products, like we probably would not have been successful, I think. Could you share a tip or a tool with our audience that has made Smarty Pants what it is or made your life more livable? My tip would be always remember why you are doing what you are doing. In other words, for me, it's I always come back to why I started doing this in the first place, and that's to help people. And that's my true north. And having a true north, given how unpredictable and crazy things can be, is the game changer. Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I mean, I guess there's two things. One is, is it like you know, be honest about what the data is telling you. So, um, can you tell he's like, our chief data officer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's like something that people don't necessarily want to hear sometimes, or I don't necessarily want to hear it sometimes. But if that is what if you're getting a story out of it that you don't like, I mean, it definitely look again and make sure that it's accurate. Um, a lot of, and this goes back to a lot of times, like doing things the way people have done it in the past. And so, like, I remember there have been several occasions where people have been given, given me averages and I'm like, well, an average doesn't really matter in a lot of ways because, like a, one of my favorite thinkers is Nicholas Nassim Taleb, who talks about never crossing a river that's on average four feet deep. Um, <laughs> just because, exactly. you know, so, so if yeah, exactly. If you, happen, exactly. if you happen to be there on a 12 foot day. Yeah. Well, or just, right. you know, if it's, I mean, unless the very, unless the variance is really small, it's right. probably like quite deep in the middle. So right. you better be prepared to swim. So, um, you know, I think it's like getting super granular and not like sort of, Thinking, thinking through analyses in ways that may be non-conventional, um, but are you know mathematically sound, um, are is important and that and a competitive can, advantage and a competitive advantage. Um, and then you know there's one that I struggle to maintain, but um, and I don't know if he coined it or not, but a guy named Mark Devine um, talks about embracing the suck. You're just like you have to. Um, and just sort of enjoy the, 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 the struggle. Um, and so, you know, I, tr I'm good at that in sports. I'm not always so good at that in relationships or in work. And so I try to translate that enjoyment of the struggle into the rest of my life. So mm. it's hard to enjoy the struggle. I, I tend it to is. say when I'm in the struggle, I look for the lesson and sometimes the lesson isn't apparent in that moment, but it's going to come later. So I remember that this is happening for some reason, even though I'm- Yeah, there might not even be a lesson. It might just be hard, you know, like, I mean, that-, that might, might, <laughs> But I think that, exactly. I think it's that there's gonna be some outcome, you're gonna be better at something as a result, yeah. right? That there, it's gonna 
suck in the in the moment, but at least there is something that will come out of it that you probably and you don't know. You know, that's the other thing. You don't know till the very end what was good and what was bad in your life. Yeah. Right. It's like that's you don't actually story. right. You don't know what is the thing that got you to whatever the branch in your tree is that ended up creating this profound experience or relationship or, you know, all the greatest things I've been a part of building were never things I would have predicted or been able to predict at all. So, you know. Yeah, it's like Kierkegaard says life only makes sense in in retrospect. This interview reminds me of a quote from Paulo Coelho in The Alchemist. He said, when we love, we always strive to become better than we are. When we strive to become better than we are, everything around us becomes better too. Gordon and Courtney are key examples of that. And they've left us with these important takeaways in today's episode. Have complete conviction in your business idea. Would you be willing to put everything on the line for your company? Let your mission guide you in every product decision you make. Even if you're not part of a couple, have regular check-ins with someone who keeps you accountable, like a coach. And no matter how busy you are, try to create space for a regular wellness routine, including your mental health, which is something that we'll cover later in the season. Check out Smarty Pants online at smartypantsvitamins.com or pick up Smarty Pants vitamins for the whole family and for your pets on Amazon. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. If you want to know more about how you can save hours on accounting paperwork and focus more on your business, then head over to freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L for an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Paco Arismendi is our producer and director, and I'm Demona Hoffman, your host and producer. If you want to chat with me about relationships, business, or anything else, you can find me at Demona Hoffman or at DemonaHoffman.com. Also, we can connect in person at an I Make a Living live event. Find out when we'll be in a city near you at imakealiving.com. And don't lose sight of the thing that inspires you most, because it's your business. I'll see you next week.